Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's sometime during the year 1987, and you find out that dinner plans have changed. And then you hear the magic words, you're going out to eat. And the plan is for pizza. As you walk into the restaurant, the scent of freshly baked pizza and garlic bread fills your nose. The restaurant is dimly lit with red chandeliers and red and white checkered tablecloths covering the tables and booths. Families and friends gather around those tables, eagerly waiting for their favorite food to arrive. The servers bustle about the restaurant, taking orders, and eventually that sizzling pan reaches your table. It almost seems too good to be true. You take your first bite, and you swear you've never tasted anything better. Millions of people are partaking in this very same ritual. But little do we know how cutthroat and intense this entire business really is. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dressed, consumed, and connected. And today, we travel back to the 80s when battle lines were drawn over bread, cheese, and tomato sauce. This is a story of the Pizza Wars. far back does pizza go? Early iterations can be traced back to ancient Rome, but it may have also originated in ancient Greece, Egypt, and China. Regardless, at some point in history, people started to toss some things like oil and herbs on a flattened piece of bread. It would be hard to call the ancient iterations familiar pizza, as tomatoes, which originate from Central and South America, probably didn't get to Italy until sometime in the 1600s. So pizza, as we would probably recognize it, looks to come from 18th century Naples, Italy. Originally considered low-class food, a Neapolitan-style pizza was the perfect marriage of bread, tomato sauce, cheese, and maybe a few other things scattered on top. And that's all that pizza is, bread being used as a plate. In 1889, Raffaele Esposito created a special pizza for Queen Margarita. It was based on the colors of the Italian flag, so it was topped with red tomatoes, white mozzarella, and green basil. Was this margarita pizza the origin of all modern pizza? Either way, how then did it get to here in North America? And how did it become one of our favorite foods? As Italians made their way to North America, they brought one of their staple dishes with them. One of the first pizza places in North America is considered to be Lombardi's in New York City, which dates back to 1905. There's also the unofficial home of pizza, New Haven, Connecticut, and classic places like modern Sally's and Pepe's, with Pepe's going back to 1925. Here in Canada, it's not that pizza wasn't a thing in the early 20th century, but the first true pizza restaurants didn't appear until the late 1940s and early 50s. We could talk about this all day, 
But it's time to fast forward to the 1980s and into an era of pizza that had never been seen before. And let's start by looking at what I will also refer to as the big three in the 1980s pizza game. And that is Pizza Hut, Domino's, and Little Caesars. There are a couple more that will enter the picture, but we'll get to them a little later on. Pizza Hut goes all the way back to 1958 and was started by two brothers at Wichita University. Why the name Hut? There are various stories that it was originally going to be called Pizza House, but regardless, their signage only had room for eight letters, and the decision was made to go with Hut. With Pizza Pete as their mascot, the company took off way quicker than anyone could have imagined. By the mid-80s, there were over 5,000 locations. The first Little Caesars opened only a year after Pizza Hut. In 1959, the first Little Caesars appeared in Garden City, Michigan. In 1969, the first Little Caesars opened here in Canada. Going into the 80s, the company launched two-for-one pizzas and coined their famous phrase of Pizza Pizza. Canadians will also know that Pizza Pizza is the name of a nationwide Canadian pizza chain. And just one year after Little Caesars, Domino's entered the market. In 1960, also in Michigan, Domino's started out as Dominic's before it was bought by brothers Tom and James Monaghan. Why the two dice on the logo that shows three dots that we still see today? This was to represent the first three locations. In 1967, Domino's began to franchise and in the early 80s, expanded internationally with its first store in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. They soon went beyond North America to Queensland, Australia. By 1983, they opened their thousandth store. So that's a quick origin on three of the big players. But what happens as we enter the 80s? As a new decade began, the pizza market got much more crowded, as does the entire fast food industry. Domino's, Little Caesars, and Pizza Hut are expanding rapidly and creating more of a global presence. But which is best? Each of them needs to stand out from the rest of the pack. And in a time of rapidly changing media, this was easier than ever before. With the growth of cable TV in the 80s, we now had many more channels to tune into. This also meant more commercials shown to us than ever before. Also in the 80s, restrictions in advertising to children began to be lifted, and we were inundated with a tidal wave of commercials that looked like cartoons. This was the wild west of advertising kids shows, cartoons, and toys. But along with this came a new era of junk food, breakfast cereal, and fast food commercials. It's not that fast food competition wasn't cutthroat before, but in the 80s, in a new era of growing media and with fewer advertising restrictions, it seemed more fast and furious than ever. In the burger market, it seemed like it was a two-horse race between McDonald's and Burger King, which also pitted the Big Mac against the Whopper. And in the 80s, you may also remember one of the most famous advertisements and slogans of all time, and this was the Wendy's Where's the Beef promotion. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than... In the Burger Wars, Wendy's questioned the size of the beef patties in the competition and were able to create a cultural touchstone moment through advertising. 
the burger wars of the 80s spilled over into the pizza wars. Cliff Freeman, who created the Where's the Beef campaign, also came up with the Pizza Pizza campaign for Little Caesars. At Little Caesars, you never get just one pizza, you get Pizza Pizza. Two great pizzas for one low price. Little Caesars used this catchphrase and campaign to promote the fact they offered two pizzas for the price of one, and no other pizza chain could compete with this. Freeman even provided the voice for the cartoon character in the Pizza Pizza spots. The character, who looks like a little toga-clad Caesar, never had a specific name. But their goal wasn't to promote a mascot, it was to promote the incredible deal they offered. As a kid, I remember how well this advertising worked on me. Why wouldn't you get two pizzas for the price you would normally pay for one with the other companies? To a young and stupid me, this was the greatest innovation since the wheel, and proof that our species had peaked. Little Caesars paid Cliff Freeman and Associates what today would be nearly $40 million for his unique campaigns, and this helped the company grow 138%. In this era, with a rapidly changing media landscape, Advertising was going to be key to gaining a foothold in the pizza market and competing in the pizza wars. Meanwhile, as we entered into the 80s, Domino's laid down the gauntlet with their own game-changing innovations and campaigns. And the first innovation was the epitome of a game-changer, 30 minutes or less. This slogan has become so synonymous with pizza delivery that it's easy to forget it was created by Domino's. The idea of 30 minutes or less or it's free even became part of the public lexicon. This really was one of the most incredible innovations in the pizza world since the first person spread tomato sauce on bread. Phone-in orders that were not delivered in 30 minutes wouldn't cost you a thing. The wisest people amongst us have always said that forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. This groundbreaking innovation was an enormous risk, but it allowed Domino's to become the largest pizza delivery company in the country and to fiercely compete in the pizza wars. Pizza Hut was a powerhouse, but it was the 30-minute guarantee by Domino's that allowed them to compete much closer with Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut may have had its unique deep dish pan pizza, but you had to wait for it. They didn't have delivery yet, which really is one of the key parts of this entire story. So if you wanted Pizza Hut, it meant driving, ordering, sitting, waiting, and driving home. This could be a multi-hour ordeal. Domino's made the choice for pizza night much easier. Do you want your pie in 25 minutes delivered to the comfort of your own home? Or do you want to venture out for an extended stay at Pizza Hut, which means having to put on pants? Eventually in 1986, the free pizza in 30 minutes or less turned into $3 off. But regardless, with this promotion, Domino's had accomplished its goal and then some. They were on the pizza and fast food map big time. According to a 1986 New York Times article, in 1985, Thanks to the increase in home delivery, Domino's reported sales of $1.08 billion. Converted for today, that's over $3 billion. That's a lot of takeout pizza. Like the pies themselves, the pizza wars were really heating up. The big pizza companies realized 
how important advertising was to get their message out, and they spent a lot of money to do so. In 1985, Domino's doubled its advertising budget, $26 million, just for their one-call, does-it-all promotion. One call from you sets Domino's Pizza in motion. One call does it all that fast. From that moment on, we do everything to make sure your hot, delicious, custom-made pizza is delivered to your door in less than 30 minutes. Domino's Pizza delivers. By 1985, Domino's had over 2,300 locations, and Advertising Age magazine wrote that they were, quote, among the fastest-growing moneymakers in the restaurant industry, unquote. Domino's grew so fast in the 80s that in 1983, owner Tom Monahan was able to buy the Detroit Tigers baseball team. And it was home delivery that was their bread and butter, or bread and tomato sauce. Home delivery was at the cornerstone of these pizza wars, and it's what pushed Domino's up closer to Pizza Hut. This created a large gap between the two of them and Little Caesars. The big three companies and the entire pizza industry were growing so quickly that the competition in the 80s became incredibly intense. Tom Monahan from Domino's even wanted his own employees to think of it as a war. By the mid-80s, and led by the big three, the pizza business soon became an $8 billion industry. Convert that for today's money, and it's more like $22 billion. Domino's gamble with a 30-minute or less promotion paid off as a quarter of all pizza revenue back then came from delivery. They obviously weren't the only ones delivering pizza, but they were the biggest delivery company in the country. And this only continued to grow. By the end of the 80s, delivery would make up a third of all pizza revenue. Seeing the success of Domino's, Pizza Hut ramped up its own delivery. Before 1986, they simply didn't offer it. But in 86, the company committed $75 million to set up a delivery service. This is more like $200 million in today's money. $50 was used to set up hundreds of specifically designed delivery stores. There wasn't any sit-down dining. These locations were devoted primarily for delivery and to compete against Domino's. For Pizza Hut, this delivery offshoot was like its own cottage industry, and they used a huge chunk of their $60 million annual advertising budget to promote the fact we could now order Pizza Hut to our homes. Pizza Hut wanted to take control of all aspects of the pizza market as they already had something the other two just couldn't compete with, the dining experience. If you grew up in the 80s and ever got to eat at a Pizza Hut, you know this was a kid's equivalent of a three-star Michelin restaurant. Fast food was one thing, but going to Pizza Hut was a genuine dining experience. You got to go out to eat your favorite food, but in a restaurant setting. Burger places were overly bright and colorful and could feel like a children's daycare. To me, Pizza Hut felt like the height of luxury. You pulled up to see that iconic giant red roof. You walked in and were immediately hit by that familiar smell. You were greeted by someone who took you to a table. Then a server took your order and actually brought your food to you. No carrying a tray here. 
Pizza Hut restaurants in the 80s had a certain ambiance that made them incredibly inviting. You walked in on a green carpet and looked up at the stained glass lights. The booths were wooden and red. Tablecloths were red and white checkered, just like an Italian restaurant. The cups you drank out of were also red, and lighting was just dim enough to make it feel like an intimate dinner. There was something grown up about eating at a pizza hut, but they still made it kid friendly, and some locations featured tabletop arcade games. With your mind feeling the perfect combination of Mountain Dew and mozzarella, and with just the right amount of grease on the joystick, you could get into the game playing zone. The pizzas came out in giant cast iron pans that you were told several times not to touch, but you touched it anyway. Even if they couldn't compete with a dining experience, it didn't stop the other two from trying to take as much business away from Pizza Hut as they could. But while that was happening, Pizza Hut was about to launch one of the greatest promotions of the entire 1980s. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As we cross the second half of the 80s, Domino's keeps the pizza wars going. They increase their specific identity by creating their own unique mascot. Launched in a massive advertising campaign, this character was the Noid. In the pizza delivery game, the Noid can zap ordinary pizzas. But Domino's Pizza delivers more than all the others combined. So when you call Domino's Pizza, you get the best delivered pizza. Primarily seen in claymation form, the Noid was a humanoid-type creature determined to ruin pizzas. The Noid tries to destroy pizzas or make them cold. Basically, he's the harbinger of pizza death. But he is unable to ruin Domino's pizzas. The Noid character was a huge hit, and we were told to avoid the Noid. That claymation style probably seemed familiar to you if you grew up in the 80s, because the Noid was created by Will Vinton, who created the California Raisins. Domino's went full on with its marketing and promotion to try to stand out from all other pizza companies. As reported in the New York Times on September 27, 1986, their already massive $53 million advertising budget was set to more than double to $120 million in 1987. Adjusted for today's money, that's $145 and $317 million, respectively. Built on the back of the Noid, Domino's created a distinctive brand. The Noid itself even became a brand of its own and a bit of a cultural icon. The success of the Noid led to merchandise and even video games for the Commodore 64 and NES. You may also remember the Noid appearing in Michael Jackson's Moonwalker film from 1988. Pizza Hut never used mascots or cartoon characters, so their promotion and marketing was based more on the family dining experience. 
But they did, however, come up with an ingenious marketing promotion to push them further ahead in the pizza wars. And this was the beloved Pizza Hut Book It campaign. There are a select amount of physical items that I will always associate with growing up in the 80s, and that big purple button is one of them. The Book It program was a reward-based reading program where kids, after reading an entire book, would get a gold star to add to a big purple Book It button. When you collected enough stars, you earned a free one-topping personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. The program originated from a Pizza Hut president named Art Gunther, who was just looking for a way to encourage his son to read more. When his son hit the reading goal they set, he was rewarded with a trip to Pizza Hut. Maybe this could work on a larger scale. Officially launched in the fall of 1985, literacy was going to be the company's corporate cause. And yes, this helped get more people through the doors, but ultimately encourage kids to read more. I don't know about you and your school, but the Book It program absolutely consumed mine. And Pizza Hut put a lot of thought into this. The program was overseen by an advisory council that included the American Federation of Teachers, the National Association of Elementary School Principals, and the National Council of Teachers of English. I know kids today have a lot of electronic distractions, but in the 80s, kids experienced a new era of cable TV and home video games that had never really been seen before. Fewer kids were reading, and the Book It program was a genuine beneficial pursuit. Each year, the program began in October, and reading goals would be determined by age and grade. I know this program absolutely worked on me as I consumed books ferociously to get those personal pan pizzas. There was something immensely gratifying and rewarding about being taken to Pizza Hut for accomplishing your goal, and you strutted in like an absolute rock star. In my mind then, I was pretty certain there wasn't any difference between me and Bon Jovi. Every October, kids everywhere were hyped up for Book It. In the first year, 7 million students participated. In 1986, it was over 14 million. Kids were frenzied about the program, and kids were reading way beyond their set goals. And all these kids were coming to Pizza Hut to collect their rewards while their parents ordered food for themselves. With the Book It program, Pizza Hut had created a near-perfect promotion. In 1987, the company was even publicly recognized and commended by President Ronald Reagan. You cannot get better publicity than all of this and it elevated Pizza Hut to an even higher level during the Pizza Wars. So after crossing that halfway point in the 80s, Pizza Hut was on top with $2.15 billion in sales. By 1987, Domino's was up to 3,600 locations and $1.44 billion in sales. Little Caesars was in the bronze position, with around $340 million. But it wasn't just the big three dominating the Pizza Wars of the 80s. There were a few more entries making a splash. One of these is a personal favorite of mine that began in Nebraska in 1973, Godfathers. There's nobody's pizza like Godfather's pizza. The company knew the importance of branding and identity and used their very own Godfather as a spokesperson. Hey, you want a little class? Come to my joint, Godfather's Pizza. Now this is class, and this is pizza. 
rich, savory sauce, tons of your favorite toppings, all smothered with a mountain of melted mozzarella. It'll make you forsake them flimsy pies forever. So gather up your group and get motivating to my joint. Seeing what was happening with Domino's in the 80s, Godfathers arranged for many locations to feature delivery. By 1984, they were up to 911 restaurants and annual sales of 335 million, or nearly a billion when converted for today. By 1985, they even spent some time in third place in the pizza market, but also moved around to the fourth and fifth spots. Godfathers couldn't compete with the massive advertising budgets of Pizza Hut and Domino's, but like Pizza Hut, they found their way into the classroom. You may remember Godfathers supplying pizza-related games to schools for younger grades to master basic math skills in exchange for free pizza. If it's one thing we've learned from this episode, it's that most kids will do anything for pizza. And we can't talk about Godfathers without mentioning one of their greatest contributions to the world of pizza, bacon cheeseburger pizza. Another key player in the 1980s pizza wars was the casino for kids with the rat as a spokesperson, Chuck E. Cheese. These were the words you prayed to see anytime you received a birthday party invitation. The concept for Chuck E. Cheese was simple but very effective. Combine video games, pizza, and animatronic entertainment. This idea was developed by Nolan Bushnell. And if you know your video game history, you know Bushnell is also the creator of Atari. Nolan Bushnell shaped more of your childhood than you may realize. Chuck E. Cheese had its ups and downs through the 70s and into the 80s. The company went public in 1981 and you may remember them going head-to-head with another family entertainment restaurant called Showbiz Pizza. This became yet another pizza war within the pizza wars. Chuck E. Cheese actually filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in 1984 before being bought by Showbiz Pizza in 1985. Eventually, pretty much all Showbiz Pizza locations would be rebranded as Chuck E. Cheese. The name and character had created such a strong identity with family pizza entertainment. The Chuck E. Cheese character really was like the Mickey Mouse of the entertainment industry. And like any good character, Chuck E. Cheese even has a backstory. Ready for possibly the fact of this entire podcast? Originally called the Big Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese's real full name is Charles Entertainment Cheese. And it turns out, He is an orphan who never knew when his birthday was, and thus, never once had a birthday party. To make up for this, Charles wants to make sure other kids enjoy their birthday and celebrate the way he never got to. That includes entertaining them and getting to sing his favorite song to them, Happy Birthday. We've covered that by the mid-80s alone, the pizza business was an $8 billion industry. As we approach the end of the decade, this number is closer to $12 billion. And this was pretty significant compared to the king of fast food, McDonald's. In 1987, the fast food giant reported sales of $12.4 billion. 
pizza wasn't that far behind. But it seemed like the pizza industry was growing more substantially and much quicker. In 1986, Domino's opened a thousand new stores. In comparison, McDonald's only opened half that amount in the same year. There really was a war for pizza, and it seemed to exist separately from the rest of the fast food market. As big as the burger chains were, they just couldn't compete with delivery, which, again, really is the driving force behind the astonishing growth of the pizza industry in the 80s. And the amazing thing about all this, half of all that pizza revenue came from neighborhood pizza places. Not only were the pizza wars happening on a nationwide scale with hundreds of millions of dollars spent on advertising, but the war was also taking place in our own neighborhoods at local mom and pop shops. And speaking of pop shop in Canada in the 80s, what better way to wash down a pizza than with an iconic pop shop beverage? I was always partial to root beer and orange. As the 80s begin to wind down, Pizza Hut continues to lead the charge as millions sought out their pan pizzas. In 1988, Little Caesars stepped their game up by introducing the Pan Pan. This isn't a dance, it's a square deep dish pizza. And the best part, as part of their two for one deal, you could either get two Pan Pans or mix and match with a regular pizza. And then, not surprisingly, Domino's got in on the deep dish action. In 1989, after having pretty much the same menu since 1960, they launched their own deep dish pan pizza. The deep dish battle was, again, another war within a war. Why such a focus on deep dish? Well, it turns out, at the time, the public seemed to prefer thicker pizza. Domino's even spent millions on the ovens needed to churn out the deep dish pies. Domino's Deep Dish from 1989 went over really well. Years later, it was changed to Handmade Pan. There have even been petitions to bring back the original Deep Dish Pan iteration from 1989. The pizza wars of the 80s were all about one thing, identity. Most pizza is always pretty good, so companies needed to do something more to stand out. In the 80s, that meant having a great hook. The big three created their own specific identity to draw us in. Little Caesars offered two for one, Domino's offered 30 minutes of free and the Noid, and Pizza Hut provided a unique dining experience with a socially conscious marketing promotion. Even though they were all serving round bread covered in sauce and cheese, those differences were enough to establish their own identities and create their own branding. The Great Pizza Wars of the 80s we're not only about competition, but innovation. Competition forces ingenuity and creativity, and the big pizza companies of the 80s found ways to improve both their product and experience for the public. Whether it was convenience through home delivery, value with two-for-ones, enhanced literacy, or having a rat sing to you, it really was a unique time in the restaurant industry. This era also upped the use of aggressive marketing tactics and enticing campaigns to capture our interest. Back in the 80s, if you wanted to compete in the ever-growing pizza market, you really had to stand out. The approach used by the big pizza companies back then continues to live on to this day in all aspects of the entire fast food industry. 
What started as a simple food centuries ago became the focal point of a multi-billion dollar battle fought in boardrooms, focus groups, advertising firms. Armed with pepperoni and mozzarella, the big pizza companies fought a war for our taste buds one slice at a time. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you heard, there's plenty more where that came from. If you're looking for further listening, here's some earlier episodes of mine you may want to check out. I mentioned the Burger Wars and I have an episode all about the famous Where's the Beef campaign. I also have an episode all about the time A&W released the third pounder burger and tried to compete against the McDonald's quarter pounder. And it failed because, and I'm not making this up, the average person didn't understand fractions. But besides those, I have a ton of great previous episodes covering all aspects of 1980s pop culture. So if you're new here, thanks so much for checking out my show. And if you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all the support. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts for more 1980s content. Just consider this show a time machine to take you back to the greatest decade. If you really like this show, you can do me a solid and hook me up with a five-star rating and review. That helps more people discover all these great stories from our past. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.